when we can welcome in all of the parts of us, so much redemption, so much healing, so much power can return to us. Hi, I'm Lacey Clark Elman of sacredjourney.net. I'm a spiritual director, facilitator, and guide, and you're listening to Pilgrim Podcast, a show exploring spirituality and intention in travels and daily life, and what it means to live like a pilgrim at home and abroad. This episode is brought to you by Journey Guide, a step-by-step travel companion for your pilgrimage of a lifetime. Journey Guide is a multimedia travel resource infused with soul, including guides and writing prompts for each stage of the journey, worksheets and resources to go deeper, interviews with seasoned pilgrims, and more. Learn more about how Journey Guide can enhance your next pilgrimage at asacredjourney.net. Today I'm talking to therapist and yoga instructor Jenny Wade about the body and the sacred feminine. Let's begin the journey. Hey, Jenny. Hi, Lacey. It's good to be with you today after spending the weekend with you. I know. It's so special to be able to uh, come into contact with you so soon after that. Mm. lovely weekend together yeah I've just come from Ginny's sacred feminine retreat why don't you just briefly describe it and then we'll dig in later I'm sure with a lot of the the content yeah so my sacred feminine retreat is a three-day journey to reclaim femininity and feminine bodies and We use both embodiment through yoga and really, really delicious food Mm -hmm. and uh, therapeutic exploration, conversation, writing, and creativity um, to step towards healing some of the deep wounds that we have around our femininity and our feminine bodies. And it was so, so good. Well, I imagine all of this has been sourced from your own spiritual journey, for sure. It seemed very evident. So why don't you tell us a bit about that? Yes, absolutely. So I grew up in a conservative, evangelical Christian family, and my spirituality was a really essential part of my identity formation as a kid. That's where I found community, where I found, um, you know, a set of rules to follow in order to know myself. And I had a lot of really positive experiences within the church as I was growing up within it. So I, you know, I went to a Christian church, you know, all the way through growing up and chose to go to Wheaton College, which is an evangelical university. And there I met my husband, who um, was not a Christian, but was searching for God. And he was the first one that started poking holes in (laughs) the first way that I thought about Uh God. It's good to have a few holes. Oh, it is. It is. (laughs) Oh, it's it's. There's more room to breathe when there are some holes. Mm, I like that. <laughs> so he he just started, he was the first person that asked me to explain hmm. uh, why and how I believed. Um, and, and it was through that exploration of really being asked to look carefully that 
I began to realize that I wasn't as certain as I thought I was because, you know, those first 20 years of my life, I was so safe in my mm-hmm. bubble of knowing that I was exactly right. And that really suited mm-hmm. my older sister self. <laughs> oh, that's a pristine glass bubble. Yes. Oh, <laughs> and I love being pristine. So it really worked for me. Uh, and then my mind was sort of blown open when mm. I did a yoga teacher training when I was 22. And I had an experience where we were in what's called an ohm circle, where mm. it was a, a group of 25 people seated in a circle and we were chanting ohm over and over again, mm. just finding, mm-hmm. finding our own rhythm within the chant. And it was there with all of those voices raised together that I had a really powerful spiritual experience that felt really similar to what I had experienced in worship services in church. And that was really confusing and exciting to me to realize that I could experience God, not just in Christian church, mm, but mm-hmm. in this other context. Hmm. And yoga became a place where I really consistently was able to come into contact with God through the experience of being very intimate with my body. Mm. It clears my mind. It gets me in contact with a really center part of me. And, you know, we're going to be talking a lot today about the body, but being able to learn how to be in relationship with my own body um, showed me that my body is a portal to the divine. Mm. And that when I was really tightly wound in in the evangelical church, I always felt like God was outside of me. And I was always just putting myself in situations, hoping that I would sometime make contact with God. It always felt like random and arbitrary and sort of out of my control, which, Mm. you know, it is. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But I've really found that in the practice of being in and with my body, that I can very consistently come into contact with the divine. And I've come to see my body as a temple Mm -hmm. that both I dwell in and the divine dwells in. Mm -hmm. And I carry that temple with me. I don't need to go to a church in order to find that really deep unity with God. Yeah. It reminds me of, yeah, that verse, you know, that your body is a temple. And I feel like you probably heard it, uh, you know, repeated to you in the same way I did growing up, where it was more like, um, don't do this, don't do that, don't don't wear this. Your body yes. is a temple of God. That restricting rather than what you're saying is like the place to contact God, that it's sacred, not in yes, this defiling absolutely. sense, but in this embodied spirituality sense. Absolutely. And that has been such a huge shift for me because the way that I was taught to think about my body was that it was wrong and sinful and sort of like the seat of darkness. Mm. And that real, the deeper I've gone into exploration on this, the less and less true that Hmm. seems to me the more and more light 
you see. Yes, absolutely. It's really liberating. Mm -hmm. It's really fun. (laughs) Which is kind of like an embodied, when I picture even the word liberated, like you feel like someone breaking free, like physically even. It's a... It's a body word. Mm, Absolutely. Yeah, I feel more space internally than I ever have before. Hmm. And I'm sure we'll talk about this more later, but I think shame causes so much like emotional and physical constriction Hmm. internally. And when we're able to release shame around our bodies, I do, I think that like, that liberation really is mm. there. There's more space in our body because our body can unclench and yeah. know that it's safe and good. Mm-hmm. Which translates to more space in the temple, more space to connect exactly. with self, with God. Well, this kind of transitions us perfectly into my first question for you, which is why do bodies matter when it comes to the realm of spirit and soul? I think so often if we're thinking about them, it's, you know, we go to the doctor or it's about nutrition or it's about uh, exercise or, of course, um, how we look. Mm, Right. But what about soul and spirit? Yes. Well, I really view the body as as a messenger Mm. of soul and spirit, that the body speaks to us through the language of sensation and that you know, and our language is full of this that our heart jumps that our stomach sinks that we have visceral experiences that tell us mm-hmm. you know a lot about our internal experience or our external environment and i believe that when we're able to see the experience our body not as something that's arbitrary but that's something that's very intentional, we can begin to to sort of listen to spirit speaking to us. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, one thing that's been really fascinating to me is to, to think about the body through the lens of incarnation. We talk about incarnation as, you know, God with us, mm-hmm. Jesus coming mm-hmm. to earth, God becoming flesh. Um God dwelling within flesh. Mm. And if we really believe that, um, you know, God lives within us, that that means that God lives within the cells of our body, mm-hmm. that um, God uses our body as a vessel um, to speak, to speak through. Yeah. And, and for me, when I made that connection, it just shifted everything mm. um, because my, you know, for so long, my body was something to resist and fight against. And when I began to really take incarnation seriously, um, it it gave me freedom to to trust that that. Um, God was in my body yeah. and that through listening to my body, I could listen to God. Yeah. Well, and it seems like even, you know, if you follow the Christian tradition and Christ is kind of the penultimate um, representation of God, then like this, that was Christ in a body. 
you know. Mm. And yes. and so yes. it has to be this body experience too. That has to be part part of it. Part of not only the words that came out of Jesus's mouth, but the presence. Um and I'm sure the bodily sensations he had as well, the the mm-hmm. healing, the intuition, um the energy undoubtedly that came through him. Absolutely. Yeah, and when we think about uh, a spiritual experience, I think, you know, really what we're having is a body experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, that those moments when we feel like spirit is with us, we feel this like, deep sense of connection in our bodies. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I remember when I was within the evangelical church, I would have these powerful visceral experiences when there were big groups of people singing together, Mm. you know, like, and that felt like this awe inspiring moment of like many bodies Mm. united Mm -hmm. participating in something together. And our body comes alive when we are, when we're gathered together. It's almost like our our spirit sings through our body. Mm-hmm. Almost as if that's how it's meant to, it's it's fullness, how it's meant to be experienced mm-hmm. almost. That, And it has mm-hmm. to have the body to strike a nerve, quite literally, to make us tingle, to yes, make, us, exactly. make us shine. Yep. One of my favorite things you said this weekend um, was that our bodies tell stories. And I think that'll really stick with me just as I move forward and, you know, the, what I notice in my body and wondering what, what story that is. So tell us a bit more about that, that wisdom that, um, that our bodies have to, to offer us and how we can begin to translate that story from fill in the blank. I'm sure you have good examples, Mm. what that, what Mm -hmm. that might be. Um, and bring that to the light. Great question. Well, this is a two-pronged answer for me. The first prong is trauma. The second mm. prong is intuition. When we experience, I'll start with trauma. Yeah. When we experience any situation that's overwhelming that we aren't able to find words for, our body stores that experience viscerally almost like it's going into long-term memory because mm-hmm. if we don't have the resources in an overwhelming moment yeah. to attend to what's just happened, our body says, it's okay. You don't have to deal with it mm-hmm. right now. I'll take it on for you. Like it's just making note, come back when you're ready. Yes, exactly. And the ideally you know, very soon after an overwhelming event happens, we're able to return to the body, to listen to the story of what's happened and to allow the body space to heal itself and to Mm. release um, and discharge like the fear response Mm. or the disgust or the anger or whatever it was um, that was experienced in that moment. Mm -hmm. But when we don't turn towards our body immediately after an experience, that experience just stays stored at a somatic level and can build up over the years. And many people don't 
turn towards their body to listen to it until there's chronic pain, disease, severe mental illness. It's like the longer we ignore the trauma that our body holds, the louder and louder and louder it gets. Mm. And I think of um, like one of the main tools that the body has for speaking to us is through constriction. So when there's stress or any type of big emotional experience that's stored in, you know, constriction in our body. So like the tightening of our muscles Mm. and the fascia that overlays our muscles. Um, And, you know, different experiences are stored in different parts of our body. Our hips are a big place Mm -hmm. where we store a lot of unprocessed trauma I know when I first started doing yoga, I would cry (laughs) every time I was on my mat when I was in half pigeon Uh and I didn't know why. And it was really confusing to me, but Uh there was just, there was so much that, that my body had been storing for me. And when I started doing yoga, it was like the first time that I was really listening and paying attention to the sensation in my body. Mm. And, and your body knows when it's being paid close attention to Mm. and, when it's being paid close attention to, it, it almost like has this sigh of relief. It can release and it can tell its stories. It can feel the feelings um, that maybe weren't safe to feel. Yeah. Half pigeon is one of my favorite poses. And that's not because like I can do it, you know, all the way with my leg parallel to the front of my mat or whatever. Um, but there's something about the, the tension that like feels important, I think, for me to lean into. And then there's this one moment, maybe like a minute in, where my hips suddenly just relax. And it feels like, you know, maybe not mentally, but bodily, some sort of integration is happening as if that body is responding and saying, thank you. Thank you. Yes. I'm so glad that you're listening to that. Mm. Because we do, our body, you know, I almost think of cravings as like our body trying to to tell us what it needs. Mm. And when you have a craving for a pose, like it sounds like you sometimes yeah. crave half pigeon, mm-hmm. that it's like your body telling you like, this is where hey, you need to be. Here. This is where you need uh-huh. to hang out for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. what happens with this kind of holding the stories, holding the trauma piece, what happens when we notice, hey, okay, that that's tight. What do you what do you do with that? So all our body needs in order to heal is awareness and breath. Hmm. And if the body has those two things, it's able to bring itself through the natural healing process. But for many of us, you know, paying attention to one thing for an extended amount of time is really difficult, Mm -hmm. especially if it's an uncomfortable sensation in our body. And so it's something that, you know, in yoga, we practice awareness that if we're paying attention to your hip and half pigeon, that eventually your mind is going to wander. And, And that's the body's way of you know, of protecting itself. It might be an old way of Mm. protecting itself. And so we train the mind to notice that it's left and then to come back to the sensation. And you might have to do that, you know, 50 times in a minute when you first begin the practice. But over time, 
you can begin to pay more and more concentrated attention to a particular sensation in your body. And then breath is so important Mm -hmm. because it helps to regulate the body. Because often when we approach an uncomfortable sensation in our body, it can send the message to our brain that we're not safe, especially if we've had experiences in our body in the past where we haven't been safe. And our breath is this intermediary between our body and our brain. Mm. And when we breathe really deeply, especially when we really elongate the exhale, it sends a signal to the body that it's safe Mm. and that it can relax. And so when you combine those two things, the breath and the awareness, um, it just gives the body space to do what it's meant to do. Yeah. Well, and I found it really interesting because we did yoga throughout um, this retreat this past weekend. And a lot of it was um, more yin style where we would spend a long time with a particular pose and you would instruct us to breathe into those places of tension, sending the breath down. And, you know, not only after a while can you really actually feel almost the direction of breath, um, even though maybe the air is not moving there, the energy is moving there. Um, But also I started to notice that directing the breath um, and kind of consciously breathing deeply, as you say, whenever my body was feeling that tension and being with that tension felt like it would easily translate to being with places of tension in my life. Yes. Um, allowing me to be there in a peaceful but present sort of way because the breath, we take take it into our bodies and then we also take it into our conflicts or we take it into um, our everyday interactions. We take it with us in those moments where we feel feel shame or um, that we need to flee. Absolutely. I think that staying emotionally regulated when you're in relationship or you're in a work situation, whatever stressful situation you might find yourself in, if we can keep our bodies calm, then we can keep our prefrontal cortex online. Mm -hmm. And our prefrontal cortex is the part of our brain that allows us to think rationally, and, um, you know, to make decisions that we want to make. And when our bodies aren't calm, our, our prefrontal cortex is overridden and the fear part of our brains sort of takes over. And, you know, and when we make decisions out of fear, they're almost never the decisions we really want to make for ourselves. Mm-hmm. So that you're right, that practice of breath is is so beneficial for just Mm. so many areas of life well it seems like even a metaphor for I'm sure when you're in the therapy setting um when a story comes up breathing into that story caring for it nurturing it but staying with it too letting it know that it's okay to be heard yes it creates a container Mm. inside of one body or between two bodies uh, in order, 
you know, exactly what you said for a story to be attended to and listened to. Um, yeah, I use, a I use breath a lot with, you know, both with myself when I find myself, um, feeling triggered when I'm with a client. Um, but it's also an invitation that I give my clients a lot because when they begin talking about experiences that were overwhelming or experiences where there's a lot of shame or fear, they stop breathing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, and so the reminder or even just the question of, are you breathing? Um, you know, brings people back into the present and like connected to the anchor Mm -hmm. of the moment and me in the moment with them. Well, and it doesn't escape me that breath and spirit are the same thing. In the Hebrew text, mm. I think oh, that's saying that something. Oh. And I, one of my favorite, oh, I'm kind of an etym- etymological geek, and one of my favorite ones is words I use a lot um, is inspiration, which comes from in spirit, in breath, which is again connecting the oh. spirit realm with with the body realm. Ooh, that's a really cool one. I know, isn't it? Because, yeah, it makes me think of like the creative process. And the more that I'm hmm. in this work, the more that I I really feel like the creative process is a spiritual process. Yeah. And to think of that word inspiration, like that inspiration hits you, mm-hmm. um, that sort of paves the way for creativity. Um, yeah, that's really lovely to... To think yeah. of the ways that those things are so deeply inter- intersected, even on a syntax level. Yeah. There before we even knew it. There with Totally. Some, someone knew. Yeah. Someone knew. <laughs> well, tell me, okay, about the <laughs> intuition piece. So intuition is, the, the way that I think about intuition is that it is spirit speaking through us. Hmm that we are deeply wise, that all of us are deeply wise. We all, I think, have had experiences where we we sense that someone isn't safe or that we need to leave a situation or that, and, and these, in, those inspirations mm-hmm. <laughs> might hit us in ways that might not make sense to us cognitively, but like we feel that they're real. Yeah. And um, like I had a, a, a deep intuition that I needed to go to Wheaton College. Mm. I had a deep intuition that I needed to go to the Seattle school. I had a deep intuition that Ben, my husband, was going to be a really important person in my life the first time that I met him. Hmm. And those, those senses I think are, are God speaking to us. Yeah. And, um, and our intuition isn't just a thought. It's a visceral response Mm -hmm. that either pulls us towards something or away from something. Like we can feel our body saying yes when we feel our body like leaning 
towards an experience or a person. And we can feel our body saying no when we feel our body sort of drawing away mm. from an experience or a person. And you know, and that can be complicated by trauma. You know, if we have yeah. a lot of unprocessed trauma, we might feel drawn towards mm-hmm. or away from all kinds of things, depending on what's happened to us. But when we're able to clear that trauma from our body, Mm -hmm. we are able to clear trauma from our body. Then we can begin to trust the experience of our body and trust that, that it's spirit guiding us towards where we need to be next. Mm -hmm. And I just... I've sort of have fallen in love with living my life that way Mm. because when I'm following my body, it leads me to the most beautiful places. I would never, ever have started my own business if it wasn't for my body leading me to start Mm. my own business. And now that I'm here, thank God I'm here. I'm so glad that I did, but I needed the a prompt. I needed a little push from something outside of my brain to, to give me the courage to make that leap because it didn't make sense in my brain, but something in my body knew that I needed to start a business called Haven. Yeah. Yeah. Which Haven yoga, Haven yoga, Seattle, Haven yoga, Seattle.com. Let everyone know where they can find you. So how, if you could put it into words, how might you describe um, that feeling? It seems like when things are aligned, you can begin to read your intuition through your body or use your body as a tool to, um, dis- to align the compass, to discern that intuitive movement, that um, spirit-led movement. So what, even whether it's in your own story or maybe in a, like, what do I want to eat today type of small practical Mm. thing that someone listening could just play around with this concept? Yeah. So I, I think of our, ourselves as having many different parts. I have a jealous part, an angry part, a mothering part, but I also have a deeply wise part Hmm. and all of us have a deeply wise part of ourselves. And so when I'm trying to tune into my intuition, I ask to pay attention to the deeply wise part of myself. And, um, you know, when I'm doing this with myself and I'm, when I'm doing it with clients, I'll, I put one hand on my heart mm. and one hand on my belly and ask the deeply wise part of me to make itself known. And then I, I, I wait to see if there's a visceral sensation, if there's an image there's a word. Um, and you know, sometimes there's silence when we ask to tune into our wisdom. 
Um, but I would say more often than not, I am given some, some clue, some breadcrumb that uh, I think leads me closer to myself in those moments. And it's an exercise that I use with my clients as well, as I mentioned. And, um, and I think my clients are often surprised Mm -hmm. that, that they're able to connect to a wise part of themselves. Um, because you know, they're there with me, you know, I'm the wise one. Mm -hmm. They're paying me to be the wise one, but really I'm there to teach them that they are the wise one, that they have the answer inside Mm -hmm. them. To guide them to their intuition. Yes, exactly. Because they, they know their truth. I don't know their truth. So tell me then, this seems kind of right along line with, um, with the sacred feminine, the way that you were teaching teaching about it to us this weekend, because once you kind of find that alignment with, with yourself, you can connect in that way. So how does, how does, well, how do you define it first? How do you describe it? And how does this way of engaging Mm. highlight the intersection of human as well as divine and body and spirit? and And that feels back to that, like it's back to that incarnation piece as well. Mm, yes. The way that I understand the sacred feminine is that um, it's the feminine aspect of God that is largely ignored mm-hmm. in many spiritual traditions. Um, you know, Christianity is the religious tradition I'm most familiar with. And within the Christian tradition, um, the feminine aspect of, um, of God is the Holy Spirit, uh, which is also referred to as Sophia, Sophia wisdom. Mm -hmm. Uh, so even though it's, it's referred to in, with, in the feminine, in the Bible, I was never taught that. No. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, I think that that's evidence of the masculine patriarchal society and system that we find ourselves in. Yeah. One of my favorite phrases I heard, I don't even know where, um, was that if God is man, then man is God. That kind of Mm. strikes you and makes you realize like, oh, this, this could be how only viewing God in the masculine form could be damaging my, um, the fullness of my experience with the divine, Mm. only giving Mm. me a piece of the puzzle. Right. Because God isn't gendered. Mm -hmm. God is both masculine and feminine. And I don't want people to think that a masculine interpretation of God is bad because it's not. Yeah. But I emphasize the feminine because it's so left out mm-hmm. of the traditional ways that we think about the divine. Yeah. Uh, and and God is is not gendered. Mm-hmm. Um, the divine is male and female. And when we ignore the feminine aspects of God, uh, that translates to a devaluation of, of the feminine in the world at large, um, in the way that we value or 
devalue systems and personal characteristics. Um, you know, in our modern society, we highly value and give privilege to what is um, white and masculine. Mm-hmm. Um, and devalue what is um, what is feminine, what is rounded and soft and intuitive and feeling. Um, those ways of being in the world are are not given as much authority um, as more traditional masculine qualities of logic and mm-hmm. um, you know, linear analysis. Mm -hmm. Um, So my turn towards the sacred feminine is one of deeply trusting the experience of body, of looking for God in image, in creative expression, in relationship, in traditional, like, feminine worlds. Well, and it seems also in, in kind of a mystical sense too. I know often the sun is seen as masculine and the moon is associated with the feminine too. So that, that night that, Mm -hmm. um, maybe not, uh, when we talk about intuition, maybe not that clarity of, um, you know, a a logical thought, but that inner knowing, Mm -hmm. deep inner knowing that is rooted in, in spirit. Yes. Yeah. One of the things that I've been thinking about recently is how, you know, when I'm thinking about the moon, I'm thinking about darkness, I'm thinking about shadow and how we are often so afraid of our shadow. Hmm. So afraid of the darkness that lives in our story, that lives within ourselves. And a feminine approach is to turn towards the shadow to turn towards the dark places and to not be afraid of them or in yeah. the midst of our fear to know mm-hmm. that like we are bigger than the shadow and we are bigger than the darkness and we can that we can learn to find our footing in the darkness yeah and and that might mean being in the i don't know place of you know that it's so uncomfortable to to not have an answer to something Mm -hmm. or to have to, yeah, not have an answer or be with the part of us that wants to rush through to get to the other side of an experience. And it takes a a lot of breath (laughs) to tolerate the discomfort of staying in the dark, a lot of spirit in order to tolerate the discomfort of staying in the dark. This seems like a direct parallel to what you were saying earlier about the body and some pain or trauma that we hold in the body. Um, because maybe so often we want to push that away or ignore it, but instead it, it might seem dark, but it offers us real truth. And in the same way, our Mm -hmm. shadow, if we bring it into the light can offer us such wisdom and truth about, um, our well-being, our, our inner selves and, um, and where the sacred is leading us. Mm -hmm. For so long, Lacey, I was, I was really committed to 
believing that my shadow didn't exist. (laughs) Not in that crystal clear ball of yours. (laughs) Exactly. And every time there, you know, evidence of my shadow would arise, I was so afraid that it meant that I was bad, that Mm. I just didn't want to look at it, didn't want to acknowledge it. And when I learned that we all have a shadow and actually our shadow only harms us when we refuse to look at it. Um, it became so much easier to turn towards it because, um, yeah, this is, I think really interesting. I think of the shadow also as being sort of parallel to the unconscious world and, you know, my psychologist mind, or I, I take it back. I'm not a psychologist. My (laughs) counselor mind, um, understands the unconscious as, as being this part of us that, you know, manifests through our body, through our dreams that, um, if we are unwilling to turn towards becomes louder and louder and louder, our unconscious or maybe what we're calling darkness, um, speaks to us through symptom. Yeah. And when we experience, you know, a symptom of mental illness or physical illness, um, I think that some of the time it's evidence that, um, we haven't been looking at what's happening in our unconscious world. And when we look at it, it, yeah, there's like that sense of, of relief, um, and release that can happen, um, when a painful part of us has been paid attention to. Yeah. Well, and this seems to, um, make evident why, why this lens of the sacred feminine can be valued to, to men too. I think it's a a bit easier for women to see the value in it because it's their experience that has been missing, that has not necessarily always been blessed, so to speak. But whenever um, you see it as the way you describe it, that this is, there is, there is wisdom here for, for men too, in their own journeys with their body and with their soul, their spirit. Yes. Uh, the patriarchal system of oppression that we find ourselves within is not only problematic for women, it's also problematic for men because men also possess femininity and within our culture, they are required in, in a lot of ways to split their femininity off. And, um, you know, so many young boys are made to feel ashamed of their feeling Mm. of their softness and, and a reclamation of, um, you know, feminine ways of encountering spirit um, can be a way for all of us to reclaim what we've lost in having to um, divorce ourselves from our soft, nurturing parts of ourselves. I love particularly this emphasis, as you're saying, on the sacred feminine for both men in that um, you know, not being allowed to feel or the soft places or the unknown places 
women um, the same and, and more not having a seat at the table, it seems like both seeing our bodies as sacred and incorporating this lens of the sacred feminine can, um, can bring us toward integration and, and healing in a truly a, a divine way, that, that liberation you described earlier. Yes, we need both masculine and feminine aspects of ourselves in order to find wholeness, in order to find healing. And we live in a culture that really demands disintegration, that asks us to separate from certain parts of ourselves and, you know, has a a very narrow list of bodies that are acceptable and characteristics that are acceptable. And, and we, you know, especially in my younger years, I spent a lot of time and energy trying to fit my body and myself into those narrow categories and really paid a price for it. It really, um, was painful for me to not allow my body to be what it was or to allow myself to be who I am. And when we can welcome in all of the parts of us, so much redemption, so much healing, um, so much power can return to us. some questions for you that I love to ask everyone on on the show if you're ready I'm ready if you were going on pilgrimage where would you want to go well you suggested this (laughs) to me and and it's stuck it's stuck uh but Bali Mm -hmm. Bali is falling to me your mind body and soul the sun worshiper in me (laughs) yes I want the sun and I want the yoga oh yeah and um I think that to be in a place where I can dive into a new layer of learning in my relationship with my body just sounds so delicious oh yeah Bali it is. I can see you there already. What journey are you on right now in your daily life? Right now, I'm trying to figure out how to be a businesswoman. Mm. I'm an excellent therapist, <laughs> great yoga teacher, but businesswoman is a new title for me. And so I'm on a journey of learning how to be structured and detail-oriented. Mm. Two things. Mm-hmm that do not come naturally to me. I've had some sweet friends that have helped me learn how to calendar my days. <laughs> and I'm just learning to show up for myself consistently, um, not just towards my ooey-gooey feeling, go with the flow parts, mm. but also to um, the parts of me that crave structure and um you need discipline yeah one it it's hard it it feels like a bit of both right because you were following that ooey gooey sense that said 
go into business. And then you've got to bring in, mm-hmm. you know, another piece too to say, okay, now sit down, do the work. Absolutely. So that's why it, it all is yeah. important. Yes. Okay. So to take away today, what are some practices or practical tools that can help listeners practice engaging their bodies with deeper intention, as well as opening themselves up to this sacred feminine that we've been exploring? I have a daily practice of coming into contact with my body as soon as I wake up. So even if it's just putting my hand on my heart, um, putting my hand on my belly, putting my hands on my cheeks, (laughs) um, I try to take a moment where I'm just really tuned in, really deeply paying attention to um, what my body is holding as I start my day. And I find that my body just really loves being greeted and loves being paid attention to. So I talk to it Mm -hmm. and I like love, um, like covering my body in lotions and oils and, um, taking care of it, uh, is a, is a really simple, but I think sweet way to invite our bodies to be soft. Mm. Um, because when our bodies aren't attended to, they, they stay in that constricted place because of just the stress of daily yeah. life. Or, or it seems like if you're the times, cause we like, our, we have to take care of our bodies each day. We have to eat, have to brush our teeth, shower, this or that. But whenever our mind is go, go, going, we eat standing up or eat on the run or eat lunch hours late or mm. um, just make plans in the shower rather than, as you say, kind of caressing and washing and taking care of. Um, Mm -hmm. and so it seems like an invitation even for those daily tasks to return to the body. It's begging for nourishment, but can we really offer it in an honorable way? Like you would give attention to a friend or a loved one who need, who is in need. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I recently realized that when I put my face lotion on every day that I was doing it almost frantically. Uh And I chose to slow down and really feel like my fingertips on my face and to feel the warmth of my hands and the warmth of my cheeks. And what was this really hurried, just another thing to get through before I walk out the door thing turned into this little little moment of, of rest, connection, um, and returning to myself yeah so it doesn't have to be big yeah what about uh the sacred feminine there was a kind of a a bit in that there for sure that leaning into that softness leaning into that earthiness anything uh specific that you might offer us in that direction one of my favorite spiritual practices is to light a candle i'm slightly obsessed with (laughs) beeswax candles Which feels very feminine, by the way. Um, They are. They're so warm and glowy. Mm -hmm. I just, oh, I just 
soften as soon as I'm around a beeswax mm. candle. Um, but to to light a candle, to meditate on the flame, and to to say a small prayer using the feminine pronoun is a practice that I do often. Um, and I invite her into whatever area of my life needs tending and nurturing. Mm, yeah. Well, let's, let's end with a prayer, with a poem. Can you offer a, a benediction for us in light of our conversation today? Absolutely. The blessing I prepared is inspired by John O'Donohue's poem, A Blessing for the Senses. Mm. And I took his words and incorporated some of my own. Just the way I like it. <laughs> so I'll have you start with taking a deep breath in and a deep breath out. And feel your feet connected to the ground underneath you. Feel the backside of your body supported by whatever's underneath you. And the front of your body open to the air around you. And you might close your eyes or stare softly at one point. May your body be blessed. May you realize that your body is a faithful and beautiful friend of your soul. And may you recognize that your senses are sacred thresholds. May you realize that holiness is mindful gazing, feeling, hearing, and touching. May your senses gather you and bring you home. May you recognize that your body enables you to celebrate the universe and the mystery and possibilities in your presence here. May you feel the love of the feminine encircle you. joining with us today. Find episode notes and sign up to receive updates at asacredjourney.net slash podcast and subscribe to Pilgrim Podcasts through iTunes or your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a thing. If you like this episode, I'd be grateful if you'd leave an iTunes review. It only takes a few minutes and will help other seekers just like you join us on this journey. Find out how to leave an iTunes review at asacredjourney.net slash podcast. I'll see you in two weeks for a conversation with online abbess of Abbey of the Arts, Christine Walters-Paintner. Until then, blessings on the journey.